This is episode 90 of the Equestrian Author Spotlight Podcast. I'm Carly Cade, and today I'm speaking with Karen S. Bennett. After retirement, Karen wrote about her years of marriage, raising three children, and going through divorce and annulment. Her life story wended its way through trials and triumphs, from being on welfare to returning to school and becoming a nurse practitioner, a career that lasted over three decades. As an NP, Karen worked in jails and prisons, including New York's infamous Rikers Island Jail. Karen continues singing, baking, and writing, writing, writing about her diverse experiences. From humble and happy beginnings in Pennsylvania, Karen finds herself in humble and happy surroundings in Baltimore, Maryland. Winning the occasional award and getting published has given Karen the push to finally call herself, at last, a writer. Today, we are discussing her new book, Beautiful Horse Flesh. Now, let's get into the interview. Welcome to the Equestrian Author Spotlight Podcast, a podcast featuring interviews with equestrian authors who love all things horses and writing about them. In each episode, you'll hear inspirational stories from horse book authors, including writing advice and marketing tips to help you write your very own horse book. If you're an author, aspire to be an author, or simply love horse books, then you are in the right place. I'm your host, Carly Cade, and creative writing makes my spurs jingle. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Equestrian Author Spotlight Podcast. I'm Carly Cade, and today I'm talking with Karen S. Bennett. Hi, Karen. Welcome to the show. Oh, Carly, I'm very pleased to be here. Thank you very much. Oh, I'm excited to talk with you, and, and Karen and I were catching up a little bit before the podcast got going, and I'm actually not in my normal office where I usually do the podcast. I am up in Flagstaff, Arizona, which is 20 degrees cooler than Phoenix. It's 117 down there this week, and, and Karen's talking about how it's cool where she is in Maryland, and she's trotting off, galloping off to Florida, so we've got some travel coming up in our in our world. You'll notice I've got a, if you're watching us on YouTube, I've got a, a strange painting over my shoulder here. <laughs> it's definitely not my normal environment. I usually have a cool horse picture back there, but we're making it work, working remotely. Karen's here. We're going to talk about the best topics on earth, which is horses and writing books about them. So Karen, my first question for you is how have horses touched your life? I know for people who come from a horse background, they'd be horrified to learn that I learned to first of all books, books with horses, you know, drawings of horses. And when I was about five, the first horse I ever met nose to nose was a horse that was drawing a wagon filled with vegetables. It wasn't pulled up in front of our house and we lived in a row of houses. The horse is, as I said, we were nose to nose and it had such a velvety nose and I was right up close to it, taking in everything and smelling it. Uh, I have since written about this, <laughs> but I looked at the horse's teeth and thought, oh, look at those big square teeth. And then later on, I ran up to my mother's bedroom. Uh, this is an embarrassing story, but not as embarrassing as the rest of them. I looked in the mirror and thought, oh, I hope I get horse teeth. I hope I get horse teeth. <laughs> and there must have been a witch hiding in the closet because I've been I've been given horse teeth. I have big square teeth. So lucky for me. And then anytime I was where there was pony rides, well, I spent every darn quarter I had on pony rides. And uh, it's interesting. I came from a family of three girls and I was the only one that cared. You know, sometimes you're with other people and you think, what's wrong with them? They don't even have a dog. You know, you, what's wrong with them? So I have been a horse person without a horse. 
I do have a stuffed horse that I use at Christmas every year to put out on in the uh, crash scene. <laughs> he pretends he's a uh, burrow. So mm -hmm. I, I just, I'm a, I can't help myself. You know, when I was a little girl, we had to fight to have a cat. So that's, that was good. So I'm definitely an animal person. And you're right. I started with horses and I just can't help myself. Oh, and, and you, you are like so many other of us who are animal lovers and particularly horse lovers. We fall in love with that velvety muzzle and we then we draw them and we write about them and we read about them, which leads us to your book, Beautiful Horse Flesh. You know, you may not have a horse of your own right there, but you are a horse lover and you captured horses in your story. And thank you for sending me a copy of the book. I really enjoyed reading your story. Uh, tell us a little bit about Beautiful Horse Flesh and, and what inspired the story. Hmm. Well, uh, what inspired the story? I think the first thing that happened is I was in a writing group and we had an assignment. And I think it's a typical assignment a lot of colleges give their writing students. You have to mention the assignment is to write something that happened in a barn, a bad thing or a good thing. And we weren't allowed to use the word barn in the writing assignment. But uh, we were assigned to write something very bad and very sad had just happened in the barn. And all of a sudden, the movie just flopped in my head. And pow, I was watching this movie. And I wrote the scene that's in the book uh, about the young man standing where floorboards had been removed. And he, his feet were on the floor underneath the barn. And his arms were resting like this on the, uh, on the actual floor. And his arm is broken. And he's crying. And it's such a sad thing. But it just, it's as if I, well... I wrote it and I was surprised about it. And then I put that away. I was actually at a Maryland Writers Association meeting <laughs> when I was inspired and struck by the lightning. And I don't believe I paid a bit of attention to anything that happened that night. I just, mm -hmm. I just wrote like crazy that whole evening. And then I don't remember what I did with it immediately, but in my poking around and writing, I learned about aqua therapy for horses. And I saw that on YouTube because they're trying to sell them. And so they show you where you can buy them. And they show some examples of horses in an aquatherapy uh, tub. And if someone doesn't know what that is, uh, in, my, in my case, I uh, copied. And then I went to actually view uh, a horse, a water walk. And for the record, it's just aquatherapy. I don't know who else calls it a water walk. I don't know if I named it a water walk or if I learned that somewhere along the line. But I do call it a water walk. And the horse just goes down a ramp into a big tub that's filled with warm water. And then the treadmill at the bottom is turned on and the jets are turned on the horse's legs. And it just walks and it, it's in, in place and its head bobs up and down. It's just darling to see. So that was part two of why I wrote the book or how I got in there. And the third thing was in writing, um, a girlfriend of mine gave me a horse veterinarian's book. And I learned that... Um, Thoroughbreds don't give birth to twins. It just doesn't happen very often. It can happen, but people, not every one of the three, make it through the, the pregnancy. Mm -hmm. One of the uh, horses is usually, to use the vernacular, pinched off, and then that allows the other twin to grow and the mother to survive it. So I thought, oh, it can happen, but it doesn't happen often. Mm -hmm. And so that's how that book got going, all those three things. Loved your book because it, it has all these elements of mystery, suspense. There's some criminal activity going on. But, yeah, sure you know, the aqua or the aqua, the aqua therapy or the, the pool, or the water walk, as you call it, was a really interesting 
way to introduce the story and kind of pull all these threads together. And I really, I, I thought that was really interesting. And I'm not, I don't want to give away too much about the book because the, but the water walk has a lot to do with it. Yes, it does. And, and you live in Maryland. So horse racing is pretty big deal out there. And you kind of fold that into, so have you been to races in Maryland and used some of that experience to pull into your, your novel here? As it turns out, every every June, except for the COVID year of last year, we have the Preakness that runs here, which is the second in this right triple crown mm-hmm. for the for the horses. And so, uh, you don't have to go there to be part of it. It's it's just a big deal. I guess it's like if Super Bowl comes to your town in January or something like that. I have been to a couple races in my lifetime, also to sulky races one time, which was was a joy, which was really fun. I I this year when Preakness happened. I took, I made uh, cardboard postcards of my book cover, and I went down to Preakness and muddled around the crowd and handed out some of my postcards. It's too bad that my actual launch was two weeks after Preakness, because had it been two weeks before, I would have worked on getting that in the their bookshop there. So the answer is yes, but I haven't gone a lot, and I certainly never have bet. yeah that that's smart uh betting usually doesn't always work in our favors right but but it's part of your culture and you're around it and you're exposed to it so i felt it infused into your book that horse racing knowledge just living where you do uh and what smart marketing getting out there and passing around postcards and and thinking about putting the book into their books their gift shop that's that's brilliant very smart you know like that face-to-face kind of stuff still matters. You know, people get very tired of being approached by people that you don't want to be approached by when you're on the street. But I thought I wasn't asking for money and I wasn't, you know, trying to do anything other than saying, you look like a reader. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, And I I really didn't meet with any uh, hard time about it. You know, no one gave me a hard time about it at all. Mm-hmm. Just I had to do it off the property of the Preakness I had, and there was plenty of people coming in. So it was, it was, easily done. And you are you are obviously so friendly and and lovely to talk with. So I'm sure people were very open to It was to easy. It was yeah. fun. Oh yeah. Oh that's wonderful. Well that was really smart. Your book, I feel like the ending of the book actually really set it up for a sequel. I was curious to know what happens next with Bud Coleman and the, you know, the farm and the future for everybody. And, you know, I asked you, is there a sequel in the works? And you actually responded with your answers to the questions that there, that no, there wasn't. Well, you never know. That's all I can say. I am old and I am tired and every book takes a long time. The sequel hadn't occurred to me because when I was writing the book, you know, lightning back to the, the writers to the writers meeting when I was inspired and started writing, I, I thought I handled all the, I thought I tied it up pretty well, but you're not the only one who's asked me to consider a sequel. <laughs> I don't have it here yet, but one never knows when lightning will hit, you know. I'm I Bud Coleman was a really fun person to write about, I must say. I'm such a Sunday school type of girl. The big deal in New York was walking across the, you know, jaywalking. <laughs> I've never done anything too terrible. So to write about a, a truly bad guy was kind of fun, I must say. And, and I, as I've told you, though, I don't know I've mentioned it to anyone else, uh, certainly this group. I've not read mysteries and I've not read thrillers and I've not read romances. And there's a, this book is not by a recipe. You know how mysteries have to be a recipe with a red herring and so on and mm-hmm. romances as well. And also why a book. 
So I don't read any of them as a rule. I just had this book in my head and I just had to write it and I did. That's all. And, the, and that's wonderful. I mean, I think that's the beauty of the muse, right? I, I agree right. with you. Lightning strikes and you, you know, you follow, I believe in following the muse. So if the sequel isn't bubbling there for you and you're focused on something else, always follow that because that's where, that's where your muse and your creativity wants you to go. But, but Bud Coleman was a very interesting character. He's your handsome horse trainer with a little bit of a he's charismatic but he's also shady and you know so so you did well and I, I found it very interesting to hear that you don't read mysteries you don't read thrillers and you don't read romance and this book had elements of all of those things but you didn't write to trope which is interesting so if you were to read what what is your what's your reading material of choice generally I read when I'm traveling so I'm doing uh, books on cd Mm-hmm. And I turn the, I go to the audiobook section and look to see what the awards of the person are, what their credentials are. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I really, I look for here and now kind of books uh, to make my trip to Florida tomorrow, you know, when I'll be driving for nine hours or more, actually 12, when you put the two trips together. I've taken out four books, but I also have not been to the library. They've only recently opened and it was sort of like a kid in a candy shop, you should pardon the expression. I just took out four choices, and one of them was uh, Henry James because it's educational, you know, to read something of that nature for myself. So it's hard for me to say. I, I just, it's an individual book by book choice. Mm-hmm. And audiobooks on road trips are the best. I totally yes. agree with you. It's Absolutely. it's so fun to get lost in the story and you're driving and you you know you kind of like the movie of your mind is happening when That's you're right. That. Yeah, I, I I enjoy listening to audiobooks while we're traveling too. Now, talk to us about your book cover. I think your book cover is really really interesting. Uh, and here, beautiful horse flesh. The horse is looking out the window. So talk to us about. What inspired your book cover and and who you worked with to create that design? Yes, I will. When I wrote this book, the title of it was Horse Flesh, period. Mm. And I I looked on uh, on, uh, Google and there were no other books named Horse Flesh. By the time it was ready to, by the time it was uh, bought by a publisher, there was another book called Horse Flesh. So then I had to think, oh, good grief, now what? And I, I toyed with other names, but we... But I said, well, how about a beautiful piece of horse flesh, which is what the phrase is throughout the book. Mm-hmm. Um, but the uh, publisher said, well, we're going to title it Beautiful Horse Flesh. And I, I waited about to the count of three and I thought, great. <laughs> <laughs> it turned out that the woman who did the design on it, just the words on it looked beautiful. It was just so very creative. And I had a long history of drawing and being an artist and going to art school and on and on. And I'm pretty good at sketching very good at sketching as a matter of fact but I just didn't have any I didn't have any really wonderful meaningful you know her it's just artistic I believe you have a paperback book have you is it paperback I do I have a paperback book oh and it has a wonderful feel to it it's almost a velvety feel mm-hmm. so I'm just thrilled as, as I can be with that when I was uh hired by the publisher, uh, he said, send me some pictures of what you'd like for a cover. So I drew scads of photographs, I mean, scads of sketches that I drew and also some photographs of horses beaten dust. And uh, on my particular horse, there's a lot of lime green that come with the title of his farm back home. So I wanted lime green wraps on his legs. And I thought that would just be the cat's meow. 
but I, it was a lesson learned that other people know more than I do and other people are more authoritative in their own fields. That's a tough pill for me to swallow, Carly. <laughs> I think I know a lot, but boy, that was that was a, a big surprise. And we just agreed on it. Well, I just, I'm very happy with it. That's, I couldn't be happier. And when I look at books, when I'm at the library and look at books, I, I just think I could have been talked into or muscled into do a picture that I liked much less than the one I have. I'm very pleased with what I have. So that's lucky, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, that's, that's great. And and I, I think what you're speaking to is a lot of authors feel that way about the covers of their books and they have these ideas. And I mean, it's your creative work, right? So you have this vision in your head of what the cover is going to look like. But then when you work with your publisher and, and the professionals and the graphic designers who do book covers and know what people are looking for, you love what it turned out to be That's but it right. ends up being something different because they're they're kind of showing you options right but you had that's, the, right. that's nice that you had the final say and you agreed and you liked how it turned out her name is on the book which I'm pleased also that she has credit on the cover of the book I believe yeah. it's not on the cover it's on one of the maybe inside page but she gets credit yeah so. of course of course yeah and I it, it's a great cover I mean it definitely caught my attention like and, and and because the book is about horses you've got the horse on the cover and that's the first thing that's going to snag people for sure so that was the right move too to have a horse on the cover now let's talk about uh your publisher you mentioned that you're traditionally published who who published your book and how did you find each other how did you connect to put this book into the world Carly I have over the years a long time ago, I won first place in Maryland for a fiction, and it was about prison. And it meant a lot to me because I, I worked in prison for years, and prison is not what you see on TV only. You know, things happen in prison, but a lot of good things happen in prison. Correction officers are really wonderful. There are a lot of wonderful women correction officers and a lot of wonderful men correction officers. And I wanted to write about my time, you should pardon the expression, in prison. And so anyway, I couldn't get anybody interested in that book. And I wrote to agents and agents and agents. I am now, to get back to the point, I, I have written to anybody who would have taken it. Anybody would, could have taken it. But that book would not, would, did not receive any attention. So I put it away. And it turns out that I continued looking for small publishers. And uh, I, I signed with Apprentice House Press. And it turns out that by luck and by everything good, they are in Baltimore also. And what I didn't want to be was somebody in the hometown that they just put in because I'm one of the local talents. But I am not the only one. I mean, I am the only one from Baltimore and everybody else is from far afield. So I was sort of feeling like it was my uncle's press and he just said, well, I'll do you a favor and I'll publish you. But it's a very nice publishing company. and I'm very, very happy with them. They do a very, very nice job. I, as I said, I couldn't be happier so far. So, and with the uh, individual person who reached out to me was just a, a wonderful gentleman, well spoken and intelligent and kind. So everything about it was good. Oh, so I'm living happily ever after with Apprentice House. Well, that's right nice. Now. And then did you did you query them or did? Yes, did, I did. Okay, I, I queried them. Oh, gosh, that was such a fun story, and I'll make it as short as I can. I have a lady friend that I have in, in Juneau, Alaska. She worked in the prison up there, and I worked in the prison at Rikers Island in New York City. Oh, wow. So when I was on a tour, on a, in a ship's tour, you know, where you go to Alaska, 
I saw a police car go by and I thought, oh boy, I'll bet you they have a jail here. And I sure would like to know about it. So ultimately the lady and the jail up there and I got together in Juneau. We just laughed ourselves silly because her jail was maybe had 87 people in it and mine had hundreds and hundreds of people. But the stories were identical, you know, just hilarious, identical, dumb prisoner stories or, or smart prisoner stories. You know, it was just, we really bonded. So I've gone back to visit her many times. And then last year, she went to Hawaii the way people in Alaska do when it's winter. And I sat in her house and used that as a, oh, a sabbatical, really. And I just wrote to, I don't know how many agents. And this is one that came back to me. You know, I've been rejected. Boy, have I been rejected. <laughs> but I am finally made it. So what's interesting is you mentioned rejection. And I, I would love to have your perspective of this because you are, you are 77, is Seven, that right? 77. 77. And you, I mean, you've, you're still writing and you're still going and you said, oh, have I been rejected? So talk to the, the younger aspiring authors that are out there about just keep going with your creativity and handling rejection. Like what are, do you have some words of wisdom that you could share with us? Well, it's sort of, you can't help it. When you're 45, you usually have a house full of kids and you mm -hmm. really may have a job and maybe even a spouse. And that's not an easy time to write. I never wrote a word until I was 67. So I've been writing for 10 years or maybe just a little bit before I retired. Because when I retired, I knew that that's what I wanted to do because I had written enough of little stuff. And I have actually started the prison book before I retired and was on the path to writing. But all I can say is you just keep at it because I was thinking about this. If a publisher said, oh, my gosh, we've had this is the fourth dog book we've done in four years. Your horse book could be the one they, they're waiting, you know, that, that would be the respite and relief to them. You have no idea what's going on in other people's lives. I give that advice to a lot of people, because when you have a job and you have a person who's really impossible, you have no idea what's in their life. And they may be planning on quitting because of their personal life. Just plug away because all you know is your life and you can't be published if you doggone don't submit it. Good advice. So, and if you, if you're called, if you're being called forward with your creativity to deny that, I think is a sad thing. You know, it's like if you're inspired to write, whether, you know, it, it launches into the stratosphere or not, I, I still think getting those words on the page is a really special experience. Would you agree with that? Yes, I do. And I also have to say that that the being published part and, and doing what needs to be done to market, I feel like I'm way too old for that. I feel so tired. And I have four more books that I have really I would like to get out. And I, you know, if you if you figure it's a, a year of book for working it through, I'm not sure I'm going to last another four years. <laughs> You know, and people say, oh, you're full of energy. But the thing is, my brain doesn't know that and my heart doesn't know that. You know, I, I feel pretty mortal. Mm -hmm. and, and I know it's difficult when you're 45 or 37 or 26 to think, oh, my gosh, it'll take two years till it's in the public's hand. Two years seems like a very long time when you're young. But when you're older, it just shoots right by. It just shoots right by. So I can't t say, to remember when you were a little girl and your birthday just finished or Christmas just finished and you think, oh, gone, I have to wait a whole year for my next bunch. I had a teacher say to me, oh, it'll be here in a minute. And I thought, liar. Because <laughs> <laughs> I knew how long a year took, you know, when I was in fourth grade. <laughs> so you just have to 
you can't make anybody do it, but if you want to do it, do it. And oh, I do have another piece of advice. Let's pretend you're 27. You're going to be 50. Wouldn't you rather be a writer when you're 50 than whatever you're doing? So I think if you, rather than being on a bar stool at 50, you might want to be an accomplished writer. So you can't do that if you don't do the writing. So that's it. That's, I guess, every way I can say it. Oh, that's great advice. I mean, it's really I, what you're doing is you're you are taking your life by the reins and you are doing what you want to be doing with it, just no matter how old you are, right? You know, and yes, I, I agree with you. The older you get, the faster time seems to fly by. But here you are, you're 77, you've written books, you want to write four more, you're you're getting behind the wheel and you're driving down to Florida. I mean, you are you're full of life and and I know you're going to get those four books written. I I just know you will. Well, they're written. I just need to get them marketed and and published. Oh, well, there you go. So you're in good shape. <laughs> That's wonderful. Now, are any of those books horse books or was this your one no. and only? And that's right. For instance, I used to live in New York City with a bunch of girls in ballet. So needless to say, I have a horse. I, I mean, I have a book about ballet. And so having written that, I have no more reason to write about ballet. Again. <laughs> and I've always been in choirs. And so I had a story here in Baltimore. Baltimore is where the first Catholic church started. And so there's Catholic churches on every corner. So the Catholics as with a lot of churches are, you know, running out of people to sit in church. You know, the the congregations have gotten smaller. So they were, I guess, like everywhere else, combining parishes. And I was in a choir and choirs would just say, we're closing, you know, if you want to sing at St. Agnes, go over to St. Agnes or go to St. Rita's or something like that. And so I wrote a a book about choir, which was a lot of fun to write, I must say, except the, the reason that the Catholic churches are closing I can't, I can't do anything about that philosophically. But you know, as far as the choir was concerned, that was a fun book to write. Uh, also, let's see. Oh, I have a book. I I self-published a book called The Farewell Tour. And interestingly enough, the woman that in that book goes to the same places I went to. Can you believe it? Isn't that a isn't that a coincidence? <laughs> but she had her reasons for going, and so I self-published that one, and it's also available. And it's on. It shows up if sometimes wherever the horse book is, that one will be next to it on the online. Well, that's wonderful. So, so what I'm hearing is you write when the lightning strikes about topics that are close close to your heart, which is that's a right. smart way to write books because you you know what you're talking about. So, so you have written a lot of books. You've got four in the hopper that are getting ready to come out. Like, how do you get the words on the page? How how's your how's your time structured? I know you've got more time now because you're retired. So you can sort of write whenever you want. But what is your strategy about getting words on the page? When I wrote the prison book, I I had just, I decided I was in an unhappy marriage and I just started writing. And then I started writing the prison book and I thought, well, I should write about a woman's prison instead of men's prison because everybody knows men's prisons from every possible movie that's out there. So I wrote a story about a woman's prison. As I said, it didn't go anywhere, but it's a wonderful book, I think, full of information that nobody has other than I. And of course, I didn't have to research that at all because I was there every day. Also, I was in three different states. So with that particular book, I had to fictionalize the state because the rules are very different from state to state. Mm -hmm. And some prisons, the inmates who are workers carry keys and other places they don't. You go to a lot of trouble to keep the keys out of the hands of, of of inmates. 
but it's very different. It depends what kind of facility it is and what the what the level of security is. It's very different. So I had to make that so I could tell all the stories from all the different prison experiences I had. I had to make that make up a place. So that's a really that's a busy book. How do I get the words on the pages? I sit down and write that book. And then I start, you know, shopping it around with girlfriends. We look at each other's work and, you know, someone will say, you really ought to have a little more of this or have you considered doing that? But the point is, I wrote that book out and then I repaired it and repaired it and repaired it. And then when that didn't move, I wrote the horse book Mm. or no, I didn't. I wrote the travel book. And of course, I came back and I had an idea and I had been to a lot of places. So I wrote about them. It was really fun and easy. So I had to do real research for the horse book because although I love horses, I didn't live with any horses. In in cases where you need research, you don't know what you don't know. That's a that's a really great point that you make. You know, for aspiring authors who maybe uh, are not as involved with horses as you know, I have horses. I've grown up with horses, but often you know, and even when you're working with an editor or something, if you're working with an editor that doesn't know the horse terminology, some right. things can get missed. Yeah, so that right. I'm, I'm really glad that you brought that up because it's important. You know, if you're writing a horse book that you work with an editor or just give it to an advanced reader who does know horses so they can help you catch some of those things. Like I actually had a fellow author friend who uh, is from the, the English discipline and she wrote a book in, in the Western style. And she actually sent it to me and asked me if I, cause I, I do Western asked me if I would check terminology uh, the different gates and some of her explanations. And, and I did help her with a few things. So, you know, it's, it's important when you're writing about something to check, to have someone proofread it, right? Or your editor proofread it that does know about horses. If you read any um, cowboy romance book out there in the romance, the little paperback romance genres, often, you know, if I'm reading one of those, I'll catch some horse terminology that, that no isn't accurate. Yeah, right. but, but that's a great point. Horse people do sometimes get crazy about that kind of stuff, you know? And then I just, I have to ask this. You've brought up prison a couple times and, and you said it's not like it is on TV. What did you do for your job in the prison system? I mean, this oh, is. I was a nurse practitioner and I worked in clinics. Oh. So I was a hero. Mm-hmm. I have a funny example. Uh, when there was a riot in one of the areas, all of the officers go down there with garb on and they're wearing plastic shields and everything and they're they go in there looking like a bunch of oh they look like something from the movies that you see nowadays where everybody's from a different world and I would go in there in my lab jacket with my stethoscope (laughs) because I was a nurse practitioner and I was there you couldn't hurt me I was strong and they just said Bennett get down to so and so and you know and I it just struck me so funny because the officers were prepared for bear if you will and I just go walking in there. When you're the nurse practitioner, people like you because you help them. Mm-hmm. Now, inmates are, are normal people who wound up in prison. You know, they're not, they don't have horns, which was a, a big surprise to me. I loved a lot of people, I must say. I loved a lot of people. And a lot of people that aren't smart are in prison. A lot of people who have, have not had family to fall back on are in prison. And the women who are in prison, for instance, if you, Carly, threw a brick through a, a, a window before someone, and he would say, honey, go home and that again. But if you were a bed, I mean, if you were some boy, probably, that's not what they would tell you. They would make you spend the night, you know, 
And some of that stuff may have changed. I don't know anymore. Uh, it's been a long time since I've worked in prison. But the women who were in prison were really the women that couldn't be anywhere else. But they have a life and they have jobs. It's a st- it's a it's quite a subject. But I've had a wonderful time working in prison. I had a wonderful time. Interesting, like so interesting. This is something that people probably wouldn't know about you that you worked in the prison system. I mean, I, how did you? And I love that you wrote a book about it and that you have this experience and you want to tell the stories that these are people that just, you know, had a challenging start to life, probably didn't have the the best, you know, foundation. And then these things happened and then they ended up in the system. But I, I think it's really honorable that you say it's not like you say on TV and you wrote a book about it and you wanted to tell these stories. But how, I mean, I would be afraid, like as a nurse practitioner, how did you decide I'm going to work in a prison? <laughs> like, what? Well, I don't want to be saying the wrong, you know, inappropriate things. Now, this was years ago, mm-hmm. but I was on welfare for a bunch of years with my little children. And I lived with other welfare people. And I wasn't above them. I was them. And my kids were in daycare. And I had food stamps. And I was just part of the flow. Interestingly enough, since I've been out of the prison system and walking the streets of Baltimore, I occasionally will have some man walk over to me and say, Miss Bennett, is that you? <laughs> I've had my many of the men's arms swung around my shoulders when I'm out in, in the city. I was there to help them, and they knew that. Mm-hmm. Now, some people get hurt anyway because some, not everybody in prison is well. You know, they are not well, and they ultimately get separated but the, you know what makes them separated is sometimes an event that's harmful to other people before they're separated mm-hmm. so it is a little is a little tricky a lot of women's husbands don't want them working in prison but uh, when I signed up for the program and to get my master's degree in that program I was the only person in the program and they had people come and sit across from me not the way you and I are, but in reality, just sit across from me to give me a lesson. And then later on, that would show up in a test because there was not a body of nurse practitioners who were in the program that I was. When I graduated, I was the one and only one in the world to have a master's degree in correctional health. Now, some other people may have worked in prisons long enough to get their master's. And so they know what I know, but there's a lot to working in prison. There is a lot to be working in prison. You know, you you never have your back to a door. And there's just a lot to pay attention to. And you can't be awfully friendly because you don't know what, you don't want everybody to know what you don't want them to know. Mm. So it, it's sticky. But I I was a little older than the men at that time. And so when they say, oh, Miss Bennett, you're so wonderful. I said, yeah. <laughs> you know, it, it, wasn't, it wasn't flirtatious. It was just true appreciation. Also, it sounds like it was a real practice in humanity like being a human not only kindness and that these people are humans and they have stories but also in the tricky part which is these people could hurt me and I need to you know follow the directions and be aware you know like what a what a interesting study in humanity and giving and also watching out for yourself Uh I, I can only imagine uh lots of fodder for books came out of the stories from that job experience and good for yep. you. Good I'll for have you. to give you, I'll have to give you my agent so you can write to the agent. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think, I think that sounds like a fascinating story, but you know, and again, when you're pitching agents or pitching publishers, it's like, 
at that time, that might not be the book that they're looking for. Just like you said earlier about the right. publishing right. the four dog books and then the horse book comes along and it's what they're looking for. You know, maybe now the time is right for something like this with what's going on with how, how people are feeling in the world. So again, you never you know. It. You know, I know, I know. Yep. You never know when that yes is just around the corner. So, I mean, that's, that's, that's interesting. I love how that conversation just circled, did a full circle back to your advice mm-hmm. earlier. I love to ask this question to the authors that I speak with, and and I think that you'll have a lot of wisdom to share around this too, because uh, everybody's writing life is very different. But for you, Karen, what has been the most difficult part of your writing life? But on the flip side of that, what's the very best part for you? Mm, Well, the best part is, well, you know how authors are. An example would be putting rocks in the pockets and walking into the Seine River. Um, they're, they're an insecure lot. And when someone takes your book and publishes it, you think, whoopee, I'm, I'm accepted by someone who's not my family or someone who knows me. Actually, it's pretty hard to be accepted by people who know you because they don't possibly think you could write a book, you know, but the fact is it's not girlfriends or boyfriends I have from school. It's people who don't know me. And when I've entered contests that and I win a contest or I get a lot of votes, I think, whoopee, people appreciate what I wrote. And it's such a reassurance to me that I'm not wasting my time. Mm. And so that is a very good thing. And the very bad thing is, and you as an author will know this, and so will everyone who's in the room, your your head, you're never alone. (laughs) (laughs) You're always thinking of something, you know, And I had an example one time of, I think it was a fortune cookie, but I'm not sure it was. It made some reference to the hot water, like maybe you haven't been tested until the hot water is poured on the leaves or something along that line. And it just unfolded for me to be a little shot of wisdom. And I used that in another book. The woman sat and watched the torture of the the leaves twist and respond to the boiling water. And because you just you're never alone. There's always, you hear a, a snippet of conversation and you think, oh, I could, you know, I can twist that into something. Even if I decided that I had no more books to write and I was finished, that part never stops. Mm-hmm. And there was one little, I, I would be nicer if I could remember these quotes, but a um, wife of a writer was standing with her kid and the little kid was watching her dad looking out. Now, he was probably thinking about his girlfriend. <laughs> But what the mother said was, the little girl said, what's daddy doing? And she said, he's writing, honey. And I think that's exactly right. You know, it looks like you're just getting the tomato soup into the bowl. But the fact is, you're thinking about other stuff at the time. See, we can use that excuse when we do foolish things. We can say, oh, I was... Hmm, I must have been in the middle of a, a thought about what I'm writing. <laughs> oh, that's actually, that's great. I mean, it, that is true too. There's always, you, you're always looking at the world a little bit differently when you're a writer because there's all of the things that we experience influence our writing. I mean, even if we're writing fiction, there's elements of who we are because where do you write from otherwise? It's all about how you're seeing the world. Now, when you have those thoughts, when you're pouring the soup into the bowl and you're thinking, do you, do you, rush to write them down in a journal or how how do you capture those thoughts when you're having them? Do you? I have a lot of little pieces of paper (laughs) and I'd like to throw them out because I'm at that point in my life. And I had a child say to me, you know, you need to thin out here. And I've just moved to the smaller house in order to do that. 
I don't know where I read it, but I read about it was something in the 1800s in sort of the wild country, maybe Colorado, let's say, or cowboys in my mind. But this old and it wasn't an old man. It was probably during um, one of the infections that swept the country at the time. But he was in a casket and they put his little son in with him because they died at the same time. And just the image, I guess it was an obituary from the 1800s about the man and his son. It was such a tender picture of this man who died and then his son who died and they put them together. I just, I can't throw that piece of paper out. And I don't know that I'll ever do anything with it. And I've never even spoken about it to anybody, but it's just that kind of stuff. There's just pieces of paper around here that I can't throw out. Oh, wow. That's magical. And thank you for sharing that with us. I mean, I can see how that would create a whole world in your mind. And, you know, maybe it's still there and going to spark something. That's why you can't get rid of it. So yeah, I have little things like that all over the place too. I think we share that as creatives, you know, you collect these things that kind of just give you that jolt of inspiration, even if you don't ever do anything with it. That's you know, right. Just, just hanging on to these things or writing down the ideas because you can always come back to it. But I find if I don't get it down or if I, I feel like it's a disservice to my muse if I don't take that idea and put it somewhere, you know? I do journal every morning, but actually that's just so I remember the last time I paid for four tires. There's <laughs> nothing in there about, you know, what I thought or what somebody said or who looked like she gained weight. None of that's in that kind of journal. It's just an everyday thing. And sometimes I have to rush back to it to see when exactly was I in Juneau, Alaska last time, you know, just to go back and do that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. But uh, I don't, my journals are not a diary, but as I, as you and I have just discussed it, it's my own enrichment. Because every time I look at that piece of paper, it touches me again. Mm, that's so. really, really special. And you mentioned uh, writers groups or like sharing your writing with other writers. Right. Have you always been involved in writers groups or did you get involved in that a little bit later in life when you decided you were going to write with your with That's your right. When I, when I joined Maryland Writers Association, it's a very, thank heaven, you know, we've all been members of things that are just sort of dead in the water, but this has been a very vital wonderful thing. And there are many, many chapters all over the state. And because Baltimore City is as wide and as varied as it is, they are, I don't know, there must be about four of them within 20 miles of here. They're just, they're just a bunch of people who really care. And the meetings are very interesting. And I had a woman walk up to me and ask me, would you share writing with me? And I didn't know she knew me, but I'd seen her around. But it turned out we were a very good match, you know, about the same age. And writing about the same kind of things, you know, neither one of us was doing science fiction, for instance, we were both doing here and now kind of thing. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. I, I really have, I'm a good advertisement for them because they, there's so much to be gained by going to a meeting like that. And once in a while, you'll get a person who stand up and they will give you a lecture on what they wrote a book about, but what you really want to hear is their process, mm -hmm. you know, what they had to do to get to where they are. And and so sometimes that's a little disappointing, but you can't blame an author for being enthusiastic about their subject. <laughs> <laughs> that's and true. when they have an audience, I mean, you've got to go with it. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's funny. There's like, it seems to me that there's two kinds, right? There, there's the, the authors who are like really bold and they're like talking about their work. And then there's the ones that are kind of shy and, and don't really want to share about their work. I mean, a lot of us, I think, are introverts and kind of like, 
slow to to share and and we kind of have to cultivate that extroverted side of ourselves to actually say you know I wrote a book you should maybe check it out if you like horses or what have you but going back to the 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 meetings what is because I I'd love listeners to know what happens at those meetings because I think I think there's a lot of advantages to being involved in organizations like this I know there's like the romance writers of America you've got something there locally in your area what what does a meeting generally look like how, how does that work well for instance there's an Annapolis group and there's a Baltimore group and there's a southern Baltimore group mm-hmm. and each one of those uh, hierarchies say what would you like to talk about next time some of them are set up in a theater arrangement a small like a schoolroom. And others of us are sitting around a bunch of tables pushed together, you know, and so it can be someone will say, well, you know, I'm a poet, really. And then they'll say, well, we can certainly get a poet in here. And so it usually is to match what the uh, demands of the audience is. Hmm. And then we have a, a gigantic thing every year in May or March or something like that, where they bring in a real a real name. Well, generally, if you went to one of these meetings, you could say, uh, I really would like to hear from a journalist because there's journalists who are chomping at the bit to come in and talk to you. So it's not a set a subject. And then uh, what I will always like to hear about is what the person's process was and how they got their darn agent finally, you know, and, and that short story is you just keep trying. That's the short story there. In addition to writing groups is sometimes Four or five writers who live near one another will say, well, come to my house every Wednesday night or every the first Wednesday of the month and they get together, which is just a personal thing. And then that five, those five people may be people from different genres, you know, just helping each other with getting the words on the page, as you say. So, well, thank you for sharing that with us. And, you know, so. Okay, you've got four books to get out to market, but what what are you curious about? What's next for you? Like, what what are you? I mean, you're heading to Florida. You're gonna have this great big vacation. You're taking on your creativity and your writing life. Like, what are you curious about? What do you what do you think is you're gonna do next? I don't know, and I hate to end on a down note, but really, when you're 77, you're surrounded by mortality, and you just get phone calls all the time. Whose husband? Who's this or that? You know, has passed. The man who did the forward for my book just died. And and I just, he was older than I am, but it's just, that's what worries me now. And it doesn't, I can't say it worries me because there's not a lot you can do about it. I can't give you the right answer for this. My What's in my head right now is trying to, to visit with people because it's probably last time I'll see them. Maybe not. You know, it just depends how long I last. As long as I'm able to drive and get places I have one sister in Maine and another sister in Florida, and I'm right in the middle in Maryland. So it's on me to go do the driving. <laughs> so I wish I had a better answer, but I don't, Carly. That's And maybe I'm not looking deeply enough, but uh, I don't know what else to tell you. I think that that is an okay answer. I mean, this is something that we all look at and face and, and think through. And I think it was a very real and honest way to respond. I mean, you've, but you've done so much. You've written the books that you wanted to write. You know, you, you are going to visit people and be with them and you're still inspired daily, you know, and you're driving and, you know, I think we all look at this, but it's, it's interesting to hear you say it the way that you did because I'm 44 you're 77 and we all think about these things, but you're, you're a little closer, you know, and it's like, how, how do, how do we approach that? It, it, that is an interesting 
thing. Well, it's sort of involuntary when you get older. When I was 44, I never thought a bit about what was way ahead of me, uh, that I wouldn't do something. If I, uh, for instance, like going on a traveling, if, if the trip was coming, I'd say, sign me up. You know, it wouldn't occur to me not to do it. Mm-hmm. It's, it's sort of like um, your skin gets wrinkly and along with that comes other thoughts it's it's uh it it couldn't happen to someone who's as young as you are what's so funny is like I love how our conversation has kind of weaved and flowed through all the questions that I asked because one of the questions I wanted to ask is what was somebody what would somebody be surprised to learn about you but you worked in the prison system so I think that that's really special and I've really enjoyed our time together and I I love talking with you. I enjoyed your book. I'm glad you've got these four in the works and they're coming out and, and you're just, what I'm hearing is you're just ready to enjoy life the way it is right now and be with people. Where, Karen, can people find more information about you and your books? Now that I have a book for sale, let me put it that way, my website will reflect that. Prior to this, I just had a website so that when I went to any conferences, it was like a business card online no matter where I was. I wasn't trying to sell anything at the time because I had nothing to sell. But now I do have a website. It's, it sounds just like my name. It's www.karensbennett.com. And there's a lot of writing I have on there. You know, it's tricky putting a lot on, on the computer because you're not sure if that counts as published or not published. <laughs> and I have I have written everything I've lived through. I have welfare stories. I have the first sex story, you know, I have every possible thing that a person could write about. I have written about it, but it's just not all in a book or in many books, you know, or short stories. But I have written, 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 written. <laughs> well, I will make sure to link to your website in the show notes and link to information about uh, your book, Beautiful Horse Flesh. Karen, thank you so much for the gift of your time. I've so enjoyed talking with you today. I, I also, and I wrote a compliment on your letter to me, and I, I, I'm your fan, dear. <laughs> oh, thank you so much. Thanks for joining us this week on the Equestrian Author Spotlight Podcast. I hope you enjoy these Q&A sessions with wonderful equine authors who love all things horses and writing, just like me. Visit my website, carlycadecreative.com, where you can read the show notes, and make sure you never miss a show by clicking the subscribe button now. This podcast is made possible by listeners like you. Thank you so much for your support. Want a free guide to secrets of horse book authors? Gallop over to carlycadecreative.com forward slash wisdom to have author advice delivered instantly to your inbox. If you are an author who writes about horses and would like to be spotlighted, please let me know. Visit my contact page at carlycadecreative.com to fill out a request. I'd be happy to have you on the show too. Thank you for tuning in to the Equestrian Author Spotlight Podcast. See you next time. I'm your host, Carly Cade. Creative writing makes my spurs jingle.